Good morning. Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you this morning. What an encouraging morning it has been in our worship and service to God. Always especially grateful to have people visiting our church family. Thank you for being here with us this morning. I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles out, please, and make your way back to Acts chapter 2. You might just want to park yourself right there at Acts 2 because that is where the vast majority of our sermon is going to be coming from this morning, Acts chapter 2. Significant moments. Significant moments. What do you think are some of the most significant moments in human history? Would you say it was the American Revolution or the American Civil War? Or maybe World War I? Or World War II? Or the fall of the Berlin Wall? or the inventions of the light bulb, or the printing press, or the airplane, or the internet, or the sinking of the Titanic, or the first time that man walked on the moon, or the assassinations of Presidents Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy, or the horrific events of 9-11. What about this event that's described for us right here in Acts chapter 2? What about this event that took place 2,000 years ago in 33 AD on the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem? I submit that this event that is described here in Acts chapter 2 is also one of the most significant events in human history. In fact, it is more significant than all of the other events I have previously mentioned. You see, while the events I have previously mentioned are certainly significant in human history, this event that we read about in Acts chapter 2, if we're Christians, is responsible for us being here this morning. It is responsible for us being together in this meeting place to worship God and serve Jesus and actually mark the beginning of New Testament Christianity. And so I want to ask you to go back to Acts 2 and notice carefully what the Bible is telling us there. Notice how in the verses that Brother Shawn Michael read for us this morning, we learn from the pen of Luke that after hearing preaching about Jesus and believing in Jesus and repenting of sin and being baptized for the forgiveness of sins, 3,000 people were added to the church in the city of Jerusalem. They were added to the church that Jesus promised himself to establish in Matthew 16 and verse 18. They were added to the universal body of God's people. In fact, not only were they added to the universal body of God's people, not only did the universal body of God's people come into existence on this occasion, but notice how these followers of Jesus also formed a local body. They formed a local church. I believe that this first local body of believers in the city of Jerusalem teaches us a couple of very important things that we need to highlight right now. First, I believe that this first local church in Jerusalem teaches us that it's okay to be big. It's okay for a church to be big. 
It's okay for a church to contain more than 30, 40, 50, or even 200, 300, or 400 members. This church started out with 3,000 members. 3,000 people were in this church. And then when you put that with what you find in Acts 4 and verse 4, the Bible tells us that eventually this church grew to 5,000 adult males, since it is usually always the case that there are more women in the church than there are men in the church. That means that this church in Jerusalem could have been as big as about 15 or 20,000 people. You know, we would call that in our time today, we would call that a mega church. We would call that a mega church. We would have probably accused them of being institutional or liberal because they just got too many members. We would say, oh, they got to be doing something wrong in Jerusalem because they're just too big. That's the kind of stuff we would say today. But the reality is, according to the Bible, being big is okay. Growing is okay. Staying together instead of breaking up into 10, 15, or 20 small churches is okay. The Jerusalem church teaches us that it's okay for a church to grow numerically. But not only did this church grow numerically, notice it also grew spiritually. It also grew in maturity, wisdom, and in relationship with God and with one another. I believe that this aspect of their growth is especially important for us to consider this morning, given our theme this year as a local church. For those of you who are members of this church, the Monte Vista Church of Christ, remember what our theme this year is as a congregation of God's people. Remember the theme that our elders have put before us this year is the theme of hand to plow. Hand to plow. Remember with this theme, we are trying to avoid being idle and lazy in our service to God, and instead we want to be active. And we want to be working and we want to be serving and we want to be truly devoted to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, we pointed out that doing this, doing this requires us first plowing the field of our hearts. And then we got to plow the field of our families. And then as we started studying last month, we got to plow the field of the church. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 9, the Apostle Paul describes the church as a field. He describes the church as a field, as a spiritual field, as a spiritual field that must be tended to us as the workers. I submit that that right there, that commandment is a huge responsibility and it's a huge stewardship that's been given to us as the people of God. And if we want to do this right, if we want to plow God's field in a way that will bring him the glory, then we need to seriously consider what took place at this pivotal moment in human history in Acts chapter 2. We need to seriously consider what took place 2,000 years ago in the city of Jerusalem. We need to seriously consider the very first church and how they grew as a field both numerically and spiritually. How did the first local church, the Jerusalem church, grow as a spiritual field of God. Well, I want to give you about three or four things to think about. First, I want to suggest that the first church, the Jerusalem church, grew as a field of God by devoting themselves to teaching. By devoting themselves to teaching. By devoting themselves to a lot of teaching 
from the word of God. And, and that's exactly what Jesus told them to do. In Matthew chapter 28, in Matthew the 28th chapter, before Jesus went to heaven to be with his father, he said these words. Matthew 28 and verse number 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching, teaching, teaching them to observe. All that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice how before going to heaven, before leaving this earth to go to heaven, the last admonition that he gave his people was the admonition to teach, to make people disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then continue teaching those people. Teach these people all that I have commanded. That is exactly what you find in Acts 2, going back to verse number 42. Are you in Acts 2? Look at verse number 42. After the Bible tells us in verse 41 that 3,000 people comprised the early church, it says in verse number 42, they, these 3,000 people, were continually noticed continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Some of your translations say that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine. That's the same idea. Devoting oneself to the apostles' teaching means that these Christians were devoting themselves to studying the apostles' teachings, learning the apostles' teachings, hearing the teachings of the, of the apostles as it was being revealed by the Holy Spirit. That is what they were doing in Jerusalem, but they were not just doing it in Jerusalem. They were also doing it in Antioch. They were also doing it in this church that we're going to read about this week in Acts chapter 11. When you go to Acts chapter 11, the church you will read about this week in Acts 11 is a very interesting church. It's one of my favorite churches to read about in the Bible. This is the first church that was made up of both Jews and Gentiles, and it had a connection to the Jerusalem church. And so in Acts chapter 11 and in verse number 19, in Acts 11 and verse 19, it says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. Now, that ties us back to Acts chapter 8, doesn't it? Remember in Acts chapter 8, Saul of Tarsus, who will later become the apostle Paul, he's persecuting the church. Persecuting the church to, to the degree that the church has to scatter, it has to leave Jerusalem. And they have to go into places like Samaria and other parts of the world. And it says, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks or the Gentiles also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed and turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church where? At Jerusalem. At Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas off. Oh, this is the perfect guy to send off, the son of encouragement. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them. Oh, wouldn't we, wouldn't we expect that from Barnabas? He encourages them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were being brought to the Lord, and he left for Tarsus. Oh, why is he going to Tarsus? Well, he's going to get the man Saul, the man who's now a Christian. He left, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught 
and taught considerable numbers and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Notice how both in Antioch and in Jerusalem, we see that these two churches, they were teaching churches. These are teaching churches. These are churches that were all about growing numerically and spiritually through the word of God. It was through the word of God that they grew in their devotion to Jesus. It was through the word of God that they learned more about Jesus and how to please Jesus. It was through the word of God that they matured and they were strengthened and they were equipped for kingdom service, teaching and learning the word of God was at the core of what was going on in Jerusalem and Antioch. And my dear friends, it's also got to be the core of what's going on here in Phoenix, Arizona. It's also got to be the core of what's going on here at Monte Vista. As we strive to be churches, to be a church like the churches that we can read about in the book of Acts, we got to always avoid the temptation to fill the, the, the pews, and follow the tide of our religious culture and try to keep people here in the pews through all kinds of gimmicks and recreation and entertainment and food and fun and frolic. And we got to grow through the word of God. We got to grow one another through the word of God. We got to convert the lost to Jesus through the word of God. Through the word of God is what we must be all about here at Monte Vista, and that means some things practically. Practically, that means that if we're going to be a church that's all about teaching the Word of God, every time we come here, we got to come here with the expectation of learning. We got to come here all the time with the expectation of learning. We don't need to come here with the expectation of having fun or being entertained, or just sit back and being a spectator. We don't need to come here with a desire for the preacher or the teacher to just reinforce things that we already believe, and we don't want to change our beliefs. No, every time we come into this place, we must come here with the expectation of learning. We must come here with the expectation of studying and digging and stretching and growing and understanding and maybe even changing some of the things that we believe that are wrong. Every time we come here, we got to come here with the expectation to learn. But not only must we come here with the expectation to learn, secondly, we also got to take advantages of the opportunities we're given to learn. We got to take advantages of the opportunities we have to learn. Now, I'm going to say something right now, and I hope you don't take it the wrong way. I'm not trying to be ugly, I'm not trying to be unkind, but I have to tell the truth. If we're gonna be a church, like the church in Jerusalem, that was constantly devoted to teaching and learning the word of God, we cannot be content continuing to be a church that has a 50% drop on attendance on Wednesday night. We can't be a church with shepherds and deacons who are working diligently to organize gospel meetings and other special events. Only half the church 
shows up to support those efforts. We can't be okay with Bible class teachers here working extremely hard to prepare for those Bible classes, but only one or two kids out of a roster of seven or eight show up for the class on Wednesday night. We can't be satisfied with that. We can't be okay with that. We gotta do better than that. And we gotta encourage each other to do better than that if we're gonna grow. And if we're gonna mature together. And if we're gonna really be like the church that was in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem grew because they were devoted to teaching and learning the word of God, but not only did they grow by devotion to teaching, secondly, they also grew by devotion to being together. Being together. We go back to Acts chapter 2 with me this morning. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42. The Bible says in verse number 42 that this early church was continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Look at verse 46. Verse 46 says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Notice how as early as the first church, and we can read about it in the book of Acts, we learn from the Holy Spirit that Christianity is not intended by God to be something done alone. It's not intended to be something done solo or all by ourselves. Instead, here in Jerusalem, you know, we find we find relationships. We find relationships. We find connected believers. We find disciples spending time together both in the assembly and outside of the assembly. The inside of the worship assembly is found in the language of day by day continuing with one mind in the temple. Luke gives us more insight into, into that in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, as Luke talks about the church in Jerusalem, he says, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all, notice this, they were all with one accord, this big church, at Solomon's portico. Solomon's porch. Solomon's portico. What is Solomon's portico? Well, Solomon's portico was a huge area at the temple where many people could gather together. It was an extremely large area at the temple where large assemblies, where large gatherings of people could come together. Since we know that by this time, the Jerusalem church is very big. It is made up of thousands and thousands of people. It would only make sense that they would gather in a place like this. It would only make sense they would gather at Solomon's portico to sing songs and to study and to pray and to take the Lord's Supper. The early church in Jerusalem was devoted to being together in the assembly, but not only were they together in the assembly, the Bible says they were also together a lot outside of the assembly. That's exactly what the Bible means in verse 46. When it says they broke bread from house to house and took their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. You see, while in verse 42, the breaking of the bread in verse 42 is a reference to the partaking of the Lord's Supper together in the worship assembly. Verse 46, when it talks about breaking bread, that's not talking about the Lord's Supper. That is talking about eating meals together. 
That is talking about being together on a regular basis, knowing each other on a personal level and having relationships, being together both in the worship assembly and outside of the worship assembly. Was going on among God's people in Jerusalem 2000 years ago. And just like it was going on at this time among God's people, it also must be going on today among God's people. It's got to be going on here in Monte Vista. Even today, even today with all this technology that we have. Even today with the Internet. And live streaming capabilities and the ability to listen to congregational singings online and sermons and Bible classes and podcasts, even with the ability to do all that stuff from the comfort of our homes, we got to understand there is no substitute for what you find here in the Bible. There is no substitute for what you find going on in Jerusalem. There is no substitute for assembling together with other fellow believers or fellow Christians in a setting like this to sing and to pray together and to study together and to give together and to take the Lord's Supper together and to encourage one another. There is no substitute for what you find in Hebrews chapter 10. Please go into your Bible. We're going to come back to Acts 2. But you remember what the Hebrew writer told us in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Listen carefully to what the Holy Spirit says here. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful and let us let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How do we do that? Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, encouraging each other and all the more. As you see the day drawing near, I want to be very frank with you when I say this this morning. I want to say to you this morning that there is no way, there is no way, no way at all that we can do what those verses say in Hebrews 10 from a computer screen. No way. There's no way we can do what those verses say by listening to a sermon online or listening to some congregational singing online, or listening to a podcast. While those avenues for growth are beneficial at various times in our lives, they will never be able to substitute for the worship assembly. They will never be able to substitute for what, for what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10. No matter what technology we invent throughout the next several decades, God's plan will always be what you find in the Bible. God's plan will always be his people gathering together like this to worship him and grow together and encourage one another in the Lord. Like what was going on in Jerusalem. We have to be devoted always to assembling together as the people of God. But not only must we be together in this assembly, we also got to be together outside of this assembly. Outside of the assembly, and that applies even to us, even though most of us are spread out all across the valley. I mean, we're all over the place. I know that. And even though we're all over the place, we're in Mesa, we're in Gilbert, we're in Chandler, we're in Tempe, we're everywhere. And we got hectic schedules and we got jobs and we got our kids and all kinds of extracurricular activities, even though we are busy, busy, busy. God still expects us to have relationships. 
God still expects us to have relationships beyond this building. That means we can't ever get so busy in our lives that we fail to reach out to one another and open our homes to one another and accept invitations that people offer us into their homes. And to meet up with various brethren at times during the week for breakfast or a cup of coffee or lunch or just get together to have fun. There's nothing wrong with that. Doing that kind of stuff, it's healthy. It's healthy. It gives us the avenues we need to build trust with each other and to talk to each other and to bear each other's burdens and to draw closer to each other as a spiritual family. I mean, think about this. What a beautiful thing it would be. What a marvelous thing it would be if if this church, the Monta Vista Church, in addition to being committed to being together every time we assemble in this place, We also were busy throughout the week texting each other, sending emails to each other, checking on each other, opening our homes to each other for Bible studies and prayer and just times of association. I mean, let me ask you something. Do you think the devil would have a hard time stealing any of us away from God if we were connected like that? You think the devil would have a hard time stealing any of us away from God? You think he would have a hard time infiltrating any of our hearts and causing any of us to drift away from the Lord? You know the devil would struggle mightily if we were doing, committed to doing what they were doing in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem grew by devotion to teaching and by devotion to being together. But let me add this third point. They also grew by devotion to work, working. Being involved in kingdom work. When you go back to Acts 2 again, we're going back to Acts 2. We're going to look at verse number 43 now, please. Verse 43, the Bible says this. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number or adding to the church day by day those who were being saved. Notice how in addition to being a teaching church and a learning church and a connected church, the Bible says the Jerusalem church was also a working church. This was a working church. That means they had people in this church who were doing more than just showing up on Sunday. They were doing more than just showing up to Solomon's portico to sing some songs and study the Bible. No, no, no. These Christians were deeply involved in the work. They were serving. They were sharing. They were spreading the gospel together to the lost. I mean, how else could... Could the Lord add daily to the church those who are being saved? The only way the Lord can add daily those who are being saved to the church is if the disciples were daily teaching the gospel. The Lord's adding daily the saved to the church because the church is daily converting people. They're daily teaching the gospel to the lost. This is a working church in Jerusalem. And we also got to be a working church. We gotta be a working church. We gotta be a church that is full of people, full of people who are serious about using their talents and their abilities God has given them to serve God and serve one another. 
We have to be a church that is full of disciples who are serious about evangelism. We got to be serious about evangelism. We got to be serious here about the work of spreading the gospel to the lost people here in Phoenix, Arizona. Listen carefully. Churches that are not serious about evangelism, churches that are not serious about spreading the gospel to the lost. You know what happens to those churches? They dwindle. They dwindle and they dwindle and they dwindle and eventually they die. They die because they fail to convert the lost. We can't let that happen to us. If we are going to continue to grow and thrive at Monte Vista, we got to be serious together about evangelizing. But not only must we be full of disciples who are serious about evangelism, we also got to be a church that is full of disciples who, who are willing to share. Share. Share just not the gospel with the lost and our resources, our money, when needs arise in this church, but also things like our homes for hospitality. And the many years of experience and wisdom that are found among people in this church to equip the young people and the new converts, and we gotta share some encouragement. And we gotta share zeal, and we gotta share passion, and we gotta share what is probably our most precious commodity, and that's our time. Our time. Our time to visit and build up the discouraged and the weak who are among us here. Our time to send text messages and make phone calls to people that we know have been missing in action for quite some time. Our time to ask a new convert or a new member or maybe somebody on the other side of the church building that we don't know very well who's not part of our little group or our little clique. Asking somebody like that to come to Cracker Barrel with me. Meet me at Starbucks one morning. Let's sit down together. Let's get to know each other better. Let me find out what spiritual needs you may have so maybe I can help you with that stuff. You see, while these kinds of works are not behind the pulpit, they're not behind a lectern, they're not behind a camera, they're not behind that kind of stuff, they're not in front of a bunch of people, nevertheless, they're still very important. They're just as important as anything that's done behind this pulpit. They are important to the work of this church. They're important to us, to us winning souls and strengthening souls and encouraging souls and investing ourselves in a congregation that we told the elders we wanted to be members of. If we're going to grow together like in Jerusalem, then we've got to devote ourselves to teaching and to being together and working together. But I want to close with this. I got to close with this. We also got to devote ourselves to prayer. We got to talk about prayer. Got to talk about prayer. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit talks a lot about prayer. Holy Spirit talks a lot about prayer when it came to the Jerusalem church. I want to show you that before we close. Look at Acts 2. This church got started with prayer. Prayer was, in the, was with this church in the beginning. Acts 2.42. Notice again. It says 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Notice they're praying. 
Acts 4, we had a sermon from Acts 4 a few weeks ago. Remember, Peter and John are being persecuted by the Sanhedrin. They are arrested, they're beaten, and they're released. And the first thing they do after they're released is they go to the church. They go to the church in Jerusalem. And the Bible says in verse number 24 that after Peter and John told the church about what had happened to them, verse 24, when they heard this, when the church heard this, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and said, they prayed. This, a prayer goes on from here all the way down to verse 31. There's a prayer being made by the church here during a time of persecution. They say, God, give us courage. Give us courage to get through this. They don't ask God to take the persecution away. They say, God, give us the courage to get through it. Give us the courage to get through it. Now look at Acts 6. Remember this problem in Jerusalem when it came to these widows? We talked about that a few weeks ago. There were needy widows in the church. Some felt that a group of widows were being neglected. They came to the apostles with it. And in verse number 3 of Acts 6, it says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this, of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer. See, we got, we got to pray, the apostles say. We have to pray. Deacons help church leaders. They're leaders too, but they help the leaders like the apostles, in this case, and our elders have time for prayer. We got to devote ourselves to prayer. We got to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word. Now look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, and these they brought before the apostles. They picked seven men, seven men to be deacons. And after praying, there's more prayer. They laid their hands on them. One more place. Look at chapter 12. This is still the Jerusalem church. Here we find the apostle Peter arrested. He's put in prison by Herod. And the Bible says in Acts 12 and verse 5, verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Prayer, prayer. These Christians in Jerusalem are always praying. They are praying all the time. Why are they praying all the time? Well, they're praying all the time because they knew they needed God. They knew they needed God to help them in so many different ways. They knew they, need, they needed God to help them in evangelism and to help them overcome their problems and to bless their leaders and to keep their zeal high and to keep them courageous as they endured persecution. The church in Jerusalem was a praying church. They prayed a lot because they knew they needed God. And I submit that if we believe that we believe God, that we need God just like they needed God, if we believe that, then we're going to be praying just as much as they did. We're going to be praying a lot. We're going to be praying together. We're going to be praying fervently all the time. We're going to be praying fervently all the time about the same things they prayed about. We're going to be praying about the growth of this church all the time and about the unity of this church and for the leaders of this church and that God will bless our evangelistic efforts. We're going to be praying that God will give each and every one of us open doors of opportunity to teach the people in our circles of life the gospel and that we will have the courage and the boldness to go through those open doors. We're going to be praying fervently all the time that God will grow us and God will mature us and God will keep us full of zeal and passion as we go to work and we go to school and we raise our kids and we live in a world that is becoming more and more hostile 
to the cause of the cross. You see, if this church, if this church and the growth of this church and the leadership of this church and the future of this church means a lot to us, then you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be praying about it. We pray about the things we care about. And if this church really means a lot to us, we're going to be praying about it. We're going to be talking to God about it. We're going to be pouring our hearts out to God so we can be just like the brethren that were in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church was a great church. It wasn't a perfect church. No church is perfect. But it was a good church. It gives us a scriptural blueprint for how to grow as the field of God. It gives us a blueprint for how to be a healthy church and a thriving church and a successful church in the eyes of God. It shows us that God's blueprint for growth involves teaching and being connected and working hard and praying fervently together all the time. Brothers and sisters, if we do those things, you know what's going to happen? We're going to grow. We're not just going to keep house. We're going to grow. We're going to grow numerically. And we're going to grow spiritually. And maybe, just maybe there's somebody here who's not a Christian and you're saying to yourself, you know what, I want to be part of something like that. I want to be part of the church. I want to be part of the church that I can read about in the Bible. If that's your desire this morning, you can, you can be part of this church. You can be part of the same church that the people in the Bible were part of, that we are part of. If you're willing to do what they did and what we all did to become Christians, and that is believe in Jesus and do as Acts 2 and verse 38 says, and repent of your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you will do those things today, the Lord will save you, wash you, and add you to the same church you can read about in the Bible. And so if we can help you with that this morning, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.